authenticity, deep caring, the intelligence of love, the true desire that you have to transform other people's lives, you becoming the real deal of your life. I'm Danielle Laporte, and this is With Love, Danielle. All right, let's do what we do. Three breaths. Remember, we inhale through the nose. We exhale through the nose. Uh, Let me give you a flavor for this. No matter where you are or what season it is uh, for you listening right now, let's have the feeling of spring, the feeling of flourishing, of nourishment, of possibility, of opening up when you breathe. All right, so let's breathe to spring. Inhale. Fully exhale. Go at your own pace if you want. Inhale through the nose. And exhale. Feel a sweetness. Full inhale. Oh, and a super relaxed, grateful exhale. Breath, nectar. Shall we start with a poem? Let's do it. This is called For God and All My Friends, because because I wrote it for God and all my friends. You told me I was the Merkaba, and I closed my eyes to dream on that. You told me that I was part of the plan that was being written, so I lit more candles just to see. You said, you are nourished, you are protected, you are loved. And so I spoke my vows. And it's true, your greatness is ineffable. But I know you word for word, my true love. Devotion. It's one of my favorite words. Uh, it has Latin roots, devotus, devoer, from the vow is what it means. It is a transitive verb, meaning to commit by a solemn act, to give or to direct time, money, effort, etc., to a cause, an enterprise, or an activity. Devote, dedicate, consecrate, hollow, as in to be on hallowed ground, sacred ground. All meaning to set something apart for a special and often higher end. Devote is likely to imply compelling motives and often attachment to an objective. I am super down with being attached to divine objectives. So then what's the objective? What's the objective of light work, of consciousness of everything that we're doing to be well, to serve, to heal. I think the objective is liberation. I once argued with a book editor. Uh, my, th- my thesis for a particular chapter was that everyone, everyone without exception, wants, craves freedom. And she could totally not <laughs> relate to this. Uh, she said, you know, what she wanted, her core desired feeling was security. And I argued that, well, if you feel secure, you feel freedom, and that freedom could help you move towards a sense of like fuller liberation. Then she argued that, you know, 
she wanted to be free of worry. Yeah, sister, if you're free of worry, then that's about a general craving for freedom. And that leads you to liberation, you know. So we went on this merry-go-round of emotions. And I, I'm still holding my ground. I think that, well, I know that countless mystics throughout time agree that the reason for our spiritual endeavoring, our spiritual devotion, is liberation and only liberation. The work of it, the work in the light work, creates a freedom from afflictive states, you know, afflictions, uh, anxiety, selfishness is its own kind of affliction, shallowness, insecurity, always comparing ourselves to other people, that's an affliction. Restlessness, uh, you know, that lack of peace. I think one of our greatest afflictions, actually, is making all relationships transactional. So instead of the relationship being truly relational, you know, that flow, I give to give because it feels good to give. I give to serve. I think we're really in this epidemic of I'm going to give you something and you're going to give me something. And, you know, social media is just feeding that. Follow me and I'll follow you. No, 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 no. That's an affliction. It's an afflictive state. Always on the take instead of the give. Yeah. Liberation from fear. Who wants that? Liberation from restrictive ideologies. Liberation from illusion, from suffering, from the anxiety that's caused from not being your true self. So then here's the question. I'm going to ask you a few doozer questions uh, this session. Do your beliefs liberate you? Do your beliefs liberate you? Is what you are investing your faith in, your trust in, your belief, your ideology, is that helping you to be more of you? Is it giving you more peace or is it restricting you? Is it making you behave and obligate? I believe that we will live many embodiments, many incarnations. That is a belief that guides a lot of my thinking. And that belief in particular liberates me. That belief helps me see meaningfulness in pain and suffering. Doesn't mean I'm okay with the pain and suffering. Doesn't mean I want any more of it for myself. It doesn't mean I don't want to end it for other people. But I can maybe see some order in the chaos and I can leave lots of room for mystery. I have a fundamental belief that I deserve to be loved. I deserve to be fulfilled. I deserve to be prosperous. Everybody deserves this. Fundamental belief that this is. Uh, a human deservedness, is that a word? And of course, you know, I run into snags with this. I have doubts and I have fears. And I think, you know, fundamentally, every snag around self-worth is, um, I, don't, I don't think it matters how enlightened you are, how much you practice. The fear is typically coming from a place of not fully and entirely f uh, in a fluid way loving yourself. 
part of my work, my own practice is to rinse away that kind of ridiculousness, that contraction that happens sometimes when I move into a desire that's full and juicy. But essentially, you know, I go back to the bedrock of my belief and and that says, yeah, baby, (laughs) you want it? You got it. Does the belief in sin liberate you? Uh, For myself, the concept of original sin is something that I have had a really difficult time accepting. I I accept that I will never accept it. It hit me when I was about six years old, Catholic school, Father Flynn explaining to us that we were born with original sin, the mark of the sinner on our forehead. And I remember, you know, I was in St. John's Church in Woodsley, Ontario, little tiny stick town. I remember actually touching, touching my widow forehead, thinking, "Do is there something there I haven't seen? How how could I, how could I be born with original? I didn't do anything. How could any of us? I just knew fundamentally it was wrong. Do you believe that you have to earn your keep here? And does that belief make you feel expanded or contracted? Does that belief, the belief that you might have to earn your keep while you are on this planet, does that make you feel supported or behind the eight ball? Do you believe that there will be a judgment day? If so, how liberating is that? Uh, Do you believe in luck, mercy, genetics? Personally, I believe that you are not your genes. Do you believe in fate? or destiny. I'm not a big fan of the notion of destiny. I support you (laughs) if you're down with destiny. I think when we come down, we have agreed to certain things. There There are contracts that are put into place. It does not mean that those contracts are unbreakable. Because, reminder, my bedrock belief of, yeah, baby, you want it, you got it. Next to that is the deep belief in free will. So I think there are significant things I agreed to have happen in this life, people to meet, karma that I had to burn, that I had to create, that I had to carry out. But all of that is still my choice, conscious or unconscious, in this incarnation. Yeah, so I believe in free will. Angels? Yeah, anybody? Aliens? The inherent goodness of humanity. Do you believe in the inherent goodness of humanity? There's a lot of liberation, I find, in that to essentially fundamentally trust people. Because when you believe in the goodness of humanity, then you are going to be more expressive. That that faith is going to dare you to show up, to trust that you will be held and, and received. It doesn't always work out that way. Do you believe in Oneness, consciousness, does that give you comfort and expansion? Yeah. Next question. What did you once believe that you now think is silly or ridiculous? I will go first on this one. I, oh my God, in my early 20s, I believed with every cell in my body and soulmates that there was one person out of where were we at in 
15 years ago, 20 years ago, population-wise, 4 billion. I believe there, there was one perfect, to the T, man for me, out of all these billions of people. And it was just unbreakable destiny. And all of my cosmic crew was working round the clock to unite us. I no longer believe that. <laughs> and that is not coming from a place of heartbreak or cynicism. That is coming from the belief that there is free will. I believe that the one is the one because you make a conscious and full-hearted, hot-bodied decision, choice to say they are the one. I also believed, I don't think I, I was conscious of this, but I believed that there were a lot of shortcuts to becoming more spiritually adept, is the right phrase, to becoming more powerful. I thought there were, yeah, there was a way, you know, before the term hacking, there was a way I could hack my way to mental clarity, to embodiment, to having, I thought I could hack my way to being more psychic and intuitive and, yeah, I can tell you now, in my experience, there are no shortcuts to initiation. Liberation is not necessarily the same as progress or making changes. When we are on the path of fixing and improving what we think is broken in order to gain access or approval from other people or a deity or a higher God, God herself, God himself. I mean, you know, growing up Catholic, I was indoctrinated in that, that well, that ideology, but that visual of a male, what? A male Godhead figure that was keeping score. And I thought that, you know, by the time I had rinsed the shackles of Catholicism, from my psyche, that I was liberated and that I wasn't trying to gain access into any particular club, but the club changed. Really, I just replaced that image of a male god in white robes with the Dalai Lama and my yoga teacher. <laughs> and I could see how I was still trying to create good karma and polish my halo to be deemed enlightened. And I don't, I'm not talking about enlightened in the sense of, you know, I have reached nirvana and I don't really need to be here anymore and I have all the answers. But you, I think you get what I mean. Just more uh, hip to the cosmos and illuminated. We can make big dramatic changes. We can lose the weight. We can make the money. We can do the yoga. We can even become a better time manager. I could learn how to cook. That would be some real fucking progress. But if we don't feel free, what's the point? I mean, what's the point of me learning how to use spices? There is no point that I can think of. There's a notion from Krishnamurti. He's my philosopher crush. I think we've covered all of my crushes in here. Basically, bald, brown, monkish. We've gone from Dwayne Johnson to Leonard Cohen. And now, full stop. Krishnamurti, it goes like this. Discipline 
is a tool that numbs the mind. Oh, whenever I can pull this one out, I'm so (laughs) gratified. Discipline is a tool that numbs the mind. That concept blew me open. Uh, So let's name types of discipline. Time management. Fuck time management. I'm so sick of time management practices. Really, so many time management practices are about time tyranny instead of time magic, you know? Uh, Diets. Religions are pretty big pervasive discipline. Any kind of regime, you know? Behavioral tracking apps. Behavior apps can go fuck themselves as far as I'm concerned. A Fitbit is going to get nowhere near my body ever. I do not need to have my steps measured, my breaths counted. I like I do not need to know from a device how well I slept or not. You know, I just want to have medicine dreams and wake up rested. Anyway, yeah, goodbye measurements. Metrics, so many metrics as far as I'm concerned at this point can just suck it. Your truth will set you free. I think we all know this. So that being the case, if we can all agree that the truth will set you free, then it is best to know what your truth is. You have to look into your beliefs. You have to consider unbelieving more than a few lies that have been holding you back consider unbelieving all those ideas that make you work so hard to try and get what you want it's so simple you can just say i'm choosing to not believe that anymore you are in charge of your belief system erase the race or Double down on the devotion. It's up to you. Here's a question from Deanne Kano. Do you believe that by not living your passion, you can become physically ill? Absolutely. If you believe that people can die of heartbreak, and I I think they do, then not living your passion could you know, at the very least, run you pretty ragged. I think the virus of compromise, that's a good one, the virus of compromise can make you very, very ill. And the cure is to prioritize your joy. You know, passion is a form of soul medicine. And, you know, you have to make a living and you got to prioritize, but yeah, live it fully. Question, do I believe in aliens? I am an alien. Next question, how do you tell a poser from a true spiritual teacher? Yeah, I love this one. Well, I am always listening for someone's real story. I My experience has been that true teachers freely share their backstory. You know, you're not going to have to go digging into their history to find out who they really are, what their hard knocks were. And a real teacher, true teacher, and let, let, let me identify this as a spiritual teacher with spiritual integrity, you know? They tend to speak really honestly and fairly frequently about their personal and genuine pain and struggle. And I see a pattern in that type of pain that they have been through 
and are going through. Their pain feels very isolating to them. And at the same time, it's very connected to their love of humankind, you know? And for me, I, I, what I hear with true spiritual teachers is that they speak very modestly and reverently of the gifts that came in with them that they have now, the gifts that they got from their struggle and their search. They don't, they're not positioning them, themselves to be more special, more insightful, more dynamic, because they were able to turn their hardship, their heartbreak, their breakdown, their near-death experience into a gift to share with other people. I mean, generally, there's this this kind of tone of like, that shit thing happened, and I saw, I, I got through it, and now I would like to help you get through the shit that you're in. Yeah, and I think a true spiritual teacher is not just reorganizing, a repackaging, a repurposing other people's ideas and philosophies into a new shiny brand and shouting very loudly about it. You know, they took their own path, their own path into deep inner knowing. And when they got inside, they found the universe. They found the commonality. They found the connection. And they're coming from that place that, you know, as my friend Donna says, we're all just bozos on the same bus. That is fucking enlightenment. And I, you know, even though a true teacher is going to stand on other mystical ideas and methodologies and teachings, their how-tos, their, their, their um, teaching of how Eastern mysticism or whatever it is can be applied is coming from their own experience of living through it, of applying it, and getting some, to, for lack of a better word, results. And they are certainly not solely driven by clicks or cash. Here's the bottom line. I think the true teacher isn't all about preaching. They're practicing. I also want to say here that, you know, in, in, in the spirit of being awake, of being discerning. I mean, really, for me, consciousness is so much. The light is so much about discernment. You bring that light down, and you can see what's what and who's who. Metaphysical skill does not guarantee spiritual integrity. So, you know, having... Um, there are lots of people who can heal people. They can help you remove the tumor with their energy work. They can see into, they see future possibilities. They can see into the crevices of your auric field and tell you deeply how you feel, how you may have lived in a past life, and it's ringing all your bells. And, and they may have like bona fide mad skills esoterically. And I believe in great healers. I, I believe in the capacity for profound and extensive insight. I am down with the exquisite gifts. But stay awake. You've got to look behind the curtain and determine the purity of intention with that healer, with that wizard, with that guru, with that teacher. So let me say it again. Mad, mad metaphysical skills does not necessarily mean that that person, that 
that um, technician is coming from a place of integrity, you know? And quality is really hard to define in this space of personal growth, of spirituality, of consciousness. So you ha- here's the call. This is the invitation. This is the demand. You, you must learn to see with both your heart and your intellect. You've got to follow the cues of your body. You've got to listen to the doubt. And you, you are going, and, and this is what I think, you know, spiritual maturity is. As you move through all of the, the, the people who are here to support you and to teach you, the, the spiritualists and the frauds, you are simultaneously going to be cultivating faith. And I mean faith with a capital, faith. And at the same time, you must question ceaselessly. And I have been duped. I have fallen for and believed in and shelled out the cash and shared my connection for fucking posers. And I am grateful for that experience. I am grateful for what I had the awareness and the consciousness to learn from that experience. I am grateful for the friends who supported my ridiculousness and my coming to the light, my coming to the light side through that, through various experiences with um, charlatans and people with the gifts uh, who didn't have the best intentions. And once I got to the other side of those experiences, hopefully I'm done with that shit, I realized that if you are going to commit to the light, if you want to be in a place of higher consciousness, and therefore I, I guarantee you you're going to want to help heal other people and, and bring compassionate love and action to everybody, you're going to have to tangle with the dark. To be whole, to be a whole person of light, you are going to get initiated. And being a fool and being blinded and being seduced and going for it is part of building your strength. It is part of the exercise, the divine exercise of clarification and discernment. And I don't think any light worker can bypass that. So if you've been a fool, don't be too hard on yourself. It's, it's part of wisdom school. Let me just punctuate this and say, I think it's more important for you to believe in your powers of discernment, your capacity to heal, than somebody else's healing powers. You have to believe that you can see the truth. If you have a longing to be in community... If you are seeking some refuge of a spiritual nature, I have my heart-centered membership, and we get together every other week to go deep, deep, deep into these very topics, the nuances of when are we coming from our ego self or from our heart self, and how do you know when it's time to let go of a situation or double down on love and commitment and compassion? Head to daniellelaporte.com slash heart-centered. And my deepest prayer is that it is a place of solace and vitality for your heart. 
I saw a Muslim man roll out his prayer carpet in Union Square Park to prostate to his God. People, dogs, pigeons were passing by his intimacy. I wish I had that kind of pride in my faith, I thought. I don't carry a prayer rug with me anywhere. I left my religion. I gave away so many keepsakes, and I boiled down my vows so that I am the only one who knows who I really am. But I told all of you yesterday, and the day before that, that I believe in light. I said it without thinking twice, and tomorrow I will get up with the sun to say it over and over and over again. I live for the light. I promise. I wrote that poem because I was so touched by that visible act of devotion to be so focused and committed in such a public way. I was so moved by that man in the park. And then I thought to myself, you know, what what do what flag do I fly with such pride? Would I do that? I I don't know. I think what I'm doing now will have to suffice. All right, another big question for you. What are you praying for right now? What are you praying for right now? And why? And how? One of my Sufi friends told me that there's nothing to pray for anymore, that you get to a point in your spiritual development that you just stop asking and when he told me that, it was late at night, and I think there was some vodka involved. I know there was not there was vodka involved, and, you know, I didn't really get it at the time. Um, but it got me thinking, and here I am now. I used to pray to sweat blood as a little girl. This is little Danielle, Catholic schoolgirl. I, I prayed all the time. I prayed to St. Anthony, who is the patron saint of lost things. I was looking for my silver bracelet that I had lost on the railroad tracks. Dear St. Anthony, please, please. Uh, I prayed to St. Christopher. Uh, he is the patron saint of travelers. My Pipe, Pipe, by the way, is sort of French-Canadian slang for grandfather. My Pipe had a St. Christopher medallion in his car. He kept it on the sun visor with his gas receipts and these rubber bands. And now I have a St. Christopher medal in my car just because, yeah. Yeah. Back to Father Flynn. Father Flynn, he was the residing priest. My school was next to the church. It actually went school, parking lot, graveyard, church. <laughs> and Father Flynn told us about the story of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it made a really deep impression on me. So this is the night before Christ was taken by the Romans to do his his walk, the Passion of the Christ with the cross, and and to be ultimately crucified. And that evening, Christ was in deep conversation with God the Father, uh, as it's written. And he prayed with such fervor and devotion that he actually sweat blood. And I thought this was just so cool and phenomenal. So I kind of put this on my to-do list pray so hard I sweat blood. <laughs> and I was going to prove my praying prowess, my goodness, 
as a Catholic girl by accomplishing this feat myself. And so I would lay in bed every night for weeks, and I would just, like, give it my all. And I would pray. I would imagine that I was, like, this helium balloon, and I was just, like, filling myself with prayer, and I just wanted to float up with devotion or bleed. And I would plead with God uh, to give me the power. And, you know, all I could manifest was just sweaty palms. <laughs> Not one drop of blood, you know. Uh, my relationship to prayer, of course, has transformed over the years. But it's transformed in parallel with my relationship to life itself. My name for God has changed. My location of God has changed. My capacity to feel God has changed. You know, what I used to call Him, I now call life. And, you know, I do invoke the Supreme God before I meditate and pray. I have a list, a long invocation list. I, I call for support, the Supreme God, the Divine Father, Divine Mother, Stellar Centers, and the, li the list goes on. Avatars, Ascended Masters, yeah. Uh, where was I going on that trip? Yeah, so I used to see rungs on a ladder of evolution and proving, and now I see it more as a hologram. And what I used to see as being out there, you know, something that other people had, I now see everybody to have. So God is still a useful terminology for me, but it's so much vaster than I was led to believe. Huh? Emphasis, underscore, uppercase and bold, unbelieve. And as my perception of Godness shifted, or uh, more accurately, as my perception of God expanded, I noticed that I was becoming really uncomfortable with praying. And part of that discomfort came from the issue that I was wondering, you know, if I believed that God was everywhere and in all of us, then who was I praying to? And if I believed that my true Buddha nature, you can see the conflict already, if, I, the, the, if my true Buddha nature was joy, then why did I need to pray to get back to my true nature if I believe that everything was progress and that the universe, as Einstein said, is this expanding bubble, that we are always moving forward, then why was I bothering to pray to, like, get ahead in anything? This uh, consideration, this conundrum, it was a real struggle because it actually made me feel more alone in the universe than I felt at the worst of times. And I felt I deserved some cosmic string pulling all the time. So I, I stopped making formal asks of life. I rather intentionally went on a request fast. And at the same time, interestingly, I stopped formally meditating for a long period of time. Long period of time meaning for like a good year and a half. And that was very intentional. It wasn't like, you know, when you don't go to the gym for a week and the next week and the next week and you just stop going. Um, I really declared that I was not going to sit in lotus position or pick up mala beads or watch my in-breath for, like, possibly forever. 
And the reason I did that is because meditation had become like this other assignment for me around polishing my consciousness, around being better instead of feeling free. Meditation had a direct correlation to me with achieving sort in the inner worlds. And yeah, who knew I was going to eventually create my own meditation programs. Uh, so there I was. I was not praying. I was not meditating. I had concerns that I was going to really drift from my source, from source itself, capital S, and I didn't. With that space and that stillness and that, I mean, really a passion for discernment, I actually got closer to my soul and to what I know to be God. So since I was no longer, you know, looking up at the sky asking for stuff, and I didn't have a meditation to, like, calm my mind, uh, and I still very much wanted to get what I wanted, um, I got into the habit of making declarations. So it went like this. I would say to life, this is what I know for sure. I want this situation to work out. I want, I am declaring, I want to feel joy. I am telling you very clearly, I am declaring, dear life, I really want to feel better than I feel right now. I want to be super creative. I want the beloved. I really, really want that and this and that. Yeah. And so I shifted from asking to focusing on what was true for me, being in that, that awareness that I deserved it, and then receiving it. And of course, I you know I had lots of hopes and expectations and attachment that um, I would be heard. My declaration was going to be met, and it shifted things for me. I I I stopped pleading. There was less performance for me in my practice. There was this is it. There was less striving. Just really pure wanting. It, it felt so much more innocent. And I knew that all that I could verify in those moments was what my desire was. It was just me and my desire and the universe on common ground. It's not a hierarchy. It wasn't about the waiting game. It wasn't about my good behavior or karma or the law of attraction. It was this belief that life wants me to have what I truly want in all ways, and that my desire is a prayer. Life is always listening to hear what you want, but you have to believe you deserve to have it, or I don't think life can, can deliver it to you, at least not with ease. So this brings us back around again to beliefs. Do you believe that you deserve what you want? And what happens when you don't get what you want? Do you question your worthiness of it? Do you think you fucked up your manifestation plan? Were you not positive enough? Is that why you couldn't manifest what you wanted, what's on your vision board? Um, I, I feel that way sometimes. But, you know, our productivity and our self-worth do not have to go hand in hand. Let me say this another way, um, because of course we want to get stuff accomplished and done, and there's a thrill. And you know, getting stuff 
handled is part of being a deliberate creator. So let me put it this way. You are worthy of love no matter what you achieve. Here's what I believe. I believe that astrology came before astronomy. That the seeds I plant, they grow to feed my DNA. I believe that the man I will marry has lived in my heart for eons, and that Jim Morrison is still alive, living somewhere in Africa, writing poems that he never puts on paper. He's watching us from afar and cheering on all the soul criers, still raging against the corporate liars. I believe in the power of who held you first. I heard that many soldiers use their dying breath to ask for their mother. There's a film of a Saudi soldier who located his mother after two years of fighting a field. When he found her miraculously on a bus that was stopped at a military checkpoint, he buried his face in her black hijab and cried and cried and cried. I believe that true love is the greatest intelligence and that an open heart will get you a lot of essential information in this life. I think most love songs are shit, because let's be real, true love is all too rare. I think we're addicted to numbness, and that honey, and just a little bit of salt, and a glass of water, and just having the conversation that needs to be had can cure so much. I think that most of humanity is sleeping and so that creates a lot of conflict when the light arrives. But it's time to wake up. It's now. It is very now. I do not believe that the playing field of life is even for everyone. The, you can do anything you set your mind to, rah-rah. I think that's a motivational sales pitch from the relatively privileged who need you to believe in them. I think we are obsessed with protein and sunscreen, and sameness. And we forget more tragically than most can understand that consuming light is how we grow in union with distinction. I wish we all believed that we have what we need and that generosity is as powerful as adrenaline. And I wish we all believed that with just a few good questions, we could all get what we're looking for. The same thing that Jim Morrison was trying to find and the enlisted soldiers and Muslims and the same thing my son wants and every single one of my girlfriends and their mothers from Glasgow to North Vancouver and Calgary, Pakistan, Detroit, Istanbul, Korea and Greece, we all want the same thing. It's comforting for me to believe in the divine order of chaos. I have to stand on my tiptoes to see that kind of sacred geometry with my arms stretched upward so that my heart is exposed to the starlight. And I say to the Great Mother, help me believe that we are all coming home. And you know, I never get a direct answer, but I always hear music playing on the other side of my doubts. And when I can get up and get out, I find that most of us are there on the other side of our doubts and we are all dancing and we are carrying the ones who can't dance and the ones who refuse to dance. 
and truth is animating our bodies, and love is the constant beat. And every time we ask, what do you believe? We are singing a song of freedom. Question from the Lotus Puppy on Instagram. How often do you find it difficult to practice what you preach? Oh, honey, every day. But you know, some days are better than others. Yeah. Is there advice that you regularly give out that you know doesn't work for you? No, no, no way. That would be like, that would be cosmically liable. No, everything, everything I talk about is lived experience. And if it is something that I just heard about or read or I know works for somebody else, I'm really upfront about that. Is there advice that you regret giving? Well, I had a friend who broke up with his lady. <laughs> so let's just say it was in June. And then he came, he broke up with his girl in June. And he came to visit me in July. And he was staying at my place. And I, and I was like, dude, I am so glad you broke up with her because she was just not a fit. And you can do so much better. And then on that visit, he shows me this ring that he had gotten for her. And they were getting back together. And I was like... I'm an asshole. She is great. Yeah. So I'm never celebrating breakups again unless I know they're for like sure because they're now married with two kids. But as for the life improvement kind of advice, do I ever regret it? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I, I, I've said this often that I want to burn everything I ever wrote before noon today because I think it could be deeper, wiser, better because things that I wrote 10 years ago, that's where I was at 10 years ago. Uh, so I, here's the thing. I don't have regrets, really. I just get the major cringies sometimes when I hear shit I have said before. But I know that people hear what they need to hear when they need to hear it. And that where I was 10 years ago in terms of developing myself or my creativity and my business might be exactly where someone is on their journey. And it's just like a perfect fit. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and the beginning of the day, I just have to keep showing up and trying to serve with what I've got in that hour. Yeah. This is a good time for some Walt Whitman re-examine all that you have been told in school or church or any book and dismiss whatever insults your own soul and your very flesh shall be a great poem. Mm, leaves of grass. Let's do one more question. How important do you think it is to know about your past lives? Eh, not that important anymore. I just, I kind of, I don't care about my past lives. Here's why. They don't really, not extensively, help me navigate my current life. I have had recollections of past lives that felt so real on a cellular level. And it explained a few things for me. It explained why I don't like to be cold. I am not happy in the snow. Um... It explains some interpersonal dynamics. And still, you know, 
as a woman of discernment, I leave space that maybe those recollections weren't accurate. I mean, who knows? I will not be able to verify that until I leave this suitcase called a body. So, yeah. And I think it can make, if we become obsessed with wanting to know what happened in a past life, especially interrelationally, it can make it more difficult for us to process current time pain, you know? So ultimately for me, useful. No, interested, somewhat, yeah. I, I really want to live this life fully. And just to give you some context, if you haven't listened to the other sessions of the podcast, I'm down with the Sikh belief that we probably live like 84,000 incarnations. But I don't need to know about many of them to be fully myself this time around. Here's my point. Some of us are going to live according to our spirit guides and our priest, the shaman, the Kabbalah, or ecstatic poetry. Some of us are going to sweat and go to spin class. We're going to study scripture. We're going to sit in lotus on the cushion. We're going to drink green juice. We're going to make love. We'll make millions. We will marathon. We will mother. That means many things. We may fire breathe our way to the higher love. Emphasis on higher. Emphasis on love. Our fulfillment, our liberation stems from our motives of doing all of that seeking, all of that devoting. It's not how we seek spiritual growth. It's why we seek it. And we need to examine what we believe, why we believe it, where it came from, and figure out what we are going to burn down, renovate, and give our deepest devotion to. And here's the good news. At least I think it's good news. I think this is the work of a lifetime, and we should never stop questioning. Listen to me. I am one of you, desirous, broken, open, perpetual. Do this. One, name your God. Name your God before the night comes, because the night always comes. Two, Sing out the name of your God. Sing it now and sing it loud while you can still recognize your original voice. Three, then bring your holy mouth to love and ask for what you want. She was born for the sound of your desire. Thank you so much for listening, for feeling, for spreading the word with love.